0: And I'll be reading.
1: Recording uh,
0: stop
1: Reading from this book.
0: Um, Rabbi Hammer's book. All right. So um, this week is Naso, um, which I means we learned last night um, lifting, lifting the heads, lifting the heads, which is uh, another way of saying count, counting, or taking a census. And so um, that's it, that's it. We're in numbers. But we're going to be speaking about um, the, the Birkat Kohanim, um, the, the Aaronic benediction, Aaronic blessing today. So it says, speak to Aaron and his sons. Thus shall you bless the people of Israel. Say to them, the Lord bless you and protect you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and grant you peace. Thus, they shall link my name with the people of Israel, and I will bless them. So we have this blessing that was given to the Kohanim. Um, you know, when the, when you know, long, long ago at Mount Sinai, and um, and and they and they were to do that, and they continue to do that even to this day. The Kohanim um, will bless the people in the synagogues. They have a Kohanim maybe have co-name one day to visit us. Um, very very rare. Um, but it was interesting you know that you know this, this, is, this blessing has been been going on for, for a really long time and um, the, the, in the Hebrew it is, it is it is interesting because it has um, it has three levels in a sense the first the first part of the part of it, the first um, line, is three words and then the second line is five words and then the third line is seven words and um, so i thought that was pretty interesting and um and it was it's also very clear that it is not the kohanim that are blessing the children of israel but it is hashem because he says i will bless them and he and he's just using these priests using the the kohanim as as like his megaphone, as his is his books spokes, spokespeople. And, and that's how God's blessing is conveyed to us, um the, the children of Israel. So that's that's that. So then we have some some words from our sages here. It says, Thus shall you bless the people, literally the sons of Israel. This would indicate that only the male Israelites receive the blessing. What about the converts, women, and emancipated slaves? The verse says, say to them, meaning all of them. To them also teaches that this is done face to face, not with their backs to them. To them also means to the koanim. The words are also said to them, prompting them that, they, that so that they will say each word exactly correctly. That's found in Numbers Rabbah 11 verse 4. And then we also have some, some more. Great is peace, for all blessings conclude with shalom, peace. Rabbi Eleazar, 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 Eleazar the son of Rabbi Eleazar HaKapar, ha- says, Great is peace, but controversy is despised. Great is peace, for peace is needed even at a time of war. Great is peace, for even the dead require peace. Great is peace. For it is granted to those who return in penitence. Great is peace, for it is bestowed upon the righteous. Great is peace, for it is not bestowed upon the wicked. Great is peace, for it is bestowed upon those who love the Torah. Great is peace, for it is bestowed upon those who study Torah. Great is peace for it is bestowed upon the lowly. Great is peace, for the name of the Holy One is designated peace. Great is peace for it is important. As the entire work of creation. Great is peace, for even those who dwell on high need peace. That is found in Sefre in Numbers, um, chapter 42. So, you know, we have our sages that, you know, brought out these important ideas. Um, so, how the people would, I mean, how the Kohanim were to bless the people, um, and it was sons of Israel, but then it's also you know shows it's also like the for for them which is for everybody for 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 all for all the people that can can hear it essentially and you know we, we we have we have this blessing and the Kohanim stand in front of everybody um if you know if you have a if you have a Kohanim present and when they say it they cover their face with their Talit um, they extend extend their arms. They do the the shin symbol, um, usually with both hands, um, and they and, and the shin stands for Shaddai, which is one of the names of Hashem, and then they re- recite this blessing to everybody. Um, um, some some do it some do it every day, every, a daily thing. Some some do it um, only only for. Um, um, for on holidays yeah yeah only it was like back in the time of the temple was done every day but um but nowadays it's it's done it, it in some Sephardic synagogues it's done it's done daily um and in and in others others it is only done for holidays and um so yeah and then sometimes you know like ours um I, I recite it but but not as a koanim you know obviously but just just so that is is said so that we can also receive shem's blessings <clears throat> um in the very end is the word shalom right which is peace very um very significant and so peace is very important according to um our rabbi rabbi eliezer and um and you know it—it it was given in that in that blessing, in that blessing, the Kohanim. But we we as as Jews have continued that on in other in other prayers and blessings that we say. So in the Amidah, um, it can also concludes with the word peace, and it says it says the word um, peace four times, um, with in, in the last blessing of the Amidah. Um, and so it ends, it ends Bless blessed are you o lord who blesses people israel with peace Amen. we read it every day multiple times a day uh, also in the kaddish um, when we have a minion we will say the the kaddish or the Hatzi kaddish and also that um, has the word peace in the end it says you know may the one who brings peace on high bring peace for us in all israel um so it's very important um, and also, you know, when we say the time, um, the this, this song from Proverbs um, 3, verse 17, at the end, after we, when we put the Torah away, um, at the very end, it also says, its ways are ways of pleasantness, and all its paths are peace, right? Not, not the end, I think it's in the middle. Maybe it's in the beginning. Somewhere in there, you know, we hear that, you know? So peace is very important to, uh, to us. Mm. And another, another thing that happened is in Judaism, um, um, I'm not sure if it was a Sanhedrin or, or I don't know. Our sages, our sages thought it important to also um, extend this peace idea to non-Jews too. And so um, they ruled, you know, so that we should also um, support even non-Jewish poor, and along with the poor of Israel, and also non-Jewish sick, along with the sick of Israel, and even bury non-Jewish dead, um, as well as the dead of Israel. So you keep peace to, to have, this, so that, you know, there was still peace in the land, I'm guessing, but also wherever we are, you know. Um, and so now, you know, so now um, Rabbi Hammer comes to tell us some of his own stories. So he talks about, like, his maternal, his maternal grandfather was a Kohen. And he remembers when he was young, um, his, his grandfather saying, saying the, this, this blessing, Aronic blessing to everyone, and he he just remembers it very um, strongly. It was very very. Um, it just he just spelt it, you know, when, when he when he said it. And um, he also said at one time this practice kind of fell out of favor a little bit, and um, um, but you know, Rabbi Hammer like wrote some some papers, some responsum some that kind of. um um, upheld it and, and said it should be continued to do so because it connects us um, directly with with our ancestors thousands of years ago, um, and that it also comes directly from Hashem. You know, so you know he, he made he kind of he kind of made sure that or didn't make sure, but he, he, he you know helped to push it to continue to go. You know, and then he told another nice, really interesting story that he has a friend, archaeologist archeologist. How do you say? It? Archaeologist, an archaeologist, a professor, Gabriel Barcai, who went um, on a dig, he found this um, little silver, silver amulet, like kind of like a, a for a necklace um, from the first temple period, which is like very, very long ago. And it had this priestly bl- blessing on it. Um, it was a little bit abbreviated, but almost exactly the same as what we have in our Torah. So, um... According to that, it's like the oldest text of the Torah um, that we have, that we have found, because um, it goes all the way back to the first temple. Um, so, you know, it's obviously this blessing is important to us, you know, um, if, if our ancestors have, have, you know, wrote it on, on jewelry and, and, you know, to be, to be worn daily and to be you know, buried in that kind of thing it was very important. So um, so just to end, you know, these are not mere words in a sacred text, but deeply felt hopes and prayers for the greatest blessing that God can convey, and that is peace. Amen. And um, hopefully Tafa has something to share as well. Or anybody. Maybe you have someone else.
1: Shabbat shalom, can you hear me?
0: Yes, Shabbat Shalom.
1: Shabbat shalom. Well, there's there's this um, interesting section uh, about the woman going astray, wife going astray. Um, there's actually a, a Talmud section on it. It's very um, so they uh, the sages saw it as important to distinguish what this was. I know other religions will kind of point to this and see, okay, so this is a uncaring, a, uh, um, kind of a barbaric practice, but if you read deeper, in, it's one of those situations where you have to read deeper into the, into the text. Um, so I'll kind of give my, I'll kind of give a, uh, a practical application and then a spiritual application if, if I can. So, um, I was looking at different commentaries. I was looking at the uh, commentaries from uh, Rabbi Sneerson of Blessed Memory, and then through the different sections of the Talmud, uh, Soda 3a. And the implication uh, when the woman goes astray uh, is in Soda 3a. And it says, um, If a wife's man goes astray, that can be interpreted two ways. As any sin can be interpreted, is uh, if a man's wife goes into folly, or if a man's wife becomes insane, right? So, in practical ways, uh, the way you would become a Sota would be number one, the husband would have to have a spirit of jealousy from Hashem. It's, it's from Hashem. So um, that it's a specific relationship that he feels like, okay, uh, I don't like uh, this man, or I don't like, uh, I just feel uncomfortable with uh, this, this relationship, maybe a friendship, whatever. And so, her jealousy and the second stage, the set her, and he's let other people know, Hey, I'm not a fan of this guy. If then she knows about his jealousy, then she publicly goes and secludes herself with the man, then it's out of his hands. Out of that, after that it's, it's considered you acted improper uh, just where we get a, a level of uh, immodesty and that's kind of that's kind of leaned at uh, um, in uh, when it is her head is uncovered that's the ultimate immodesty to have her head uncovered uh, in those time periods which makes it because. Into- influence that married women as a sign of immodesty. So there's two things. So there had to be a and there had to be a, I'm sorry, that the man was specifically had an issue with and that she she purposely secludes herself with him and people see it. Not just her husband, other people see it. This is known in the community um and so from that point she can't return to her husband. She's acted immodestly uh, and this is what the the Talmud kind of goes into. She is now a so she has acted improper the only way for her to be redeemed to her husband is to drink the bitter waters Now this is where it's a little bit um, it's just unbelievable in that, Within the curse of the bitter waters contains, and Hashem allows allows his name to be dissolved into the waters. And the woman ingests his name. She ingests his name. And so she's taken on. Listen, I'm standing before the community. I'm standing before you. I'm bringing the, the very essence of yourself into myself uh, to stand and say that I'm, I'm clean. And in, and if she is clean, it says that from there on out, all her children, this is according to, uh, Talmud. Hold on a second. I've got to pull it up here. I apologize. This is a Talmud, uh, Soda 27b. Um, actually, I'm sorry. Um, So, uh, Talmud Jerusalem Talmud Soda three four uh, says that basically from here on out, uh, if she's proven good, if she's proven that she's innocent, now it doesn't necessarily mean she's innocent because she did seclude herself uh, in an improper way with another man. Uh, she's not guilty of adultery, but she did kind of put a blemish on herself. She can go back with her husband, but it's you know there's there's a there's a mark there you know for uh, that she had to go through this process, but she didn't commit adultery, so she won't be known as an adulteress. Uh, so it says from here on out, if she's considered uh, not guilty, then um, she won't have any uh, pain in childbirth. This is from Sota thir- uh, three four. her children if they were ugly everything will be blessed she'll be exceedingly blessed from here on out based on her uh, being wrongfully accused of adultery or you know suspicion so um, but you know it's interesting in Talmud Selene 141a makes a point as one of the only times that Hashem allows his name to be blotted out it's that serious that he takes the oath and he, he imparts it to the woman and so the 27 27b uh, this is one of those things that was not in there you say well the woman is the only one charged it says that um, at that moment that her that her thigh swells which is an indication that her her um, reproductive organs come out. So she has a spontaneous um, rupture of her of her organs. At the same time, that happens, the man's, uh, her adult affair, his testicles burst. So both of them die. So he's not, t- he's not, um, so. What do, we, what do we do this? How do we apply this to, okay, you've got this weird thing of, you know, adultery. By the way, on Yeshua's time in the second century, uh, Josephus says that this laws of soda was annulled because there was too so many people committing adultery. It's one of the one of the possible reasons, uh, uh, you know, the reason for the, the flood was robbery. And robbery of once is so much that uh, we're not even going to take it anymore. We're not going to bring it before him because there's too much of it going on. Because you know the uh, the priesthood had been corrupted by then. Okay, so uh, how do we apply this today? Okay, so that this this uh, is mirrored by uh, the marriage covenant. I don't, I don't I don't necessarily ascribe to the you know the marriage theology of Christianity where you know it's it's kind of a weird uh, issue but I, I we are likened to the uh, wife between Hashem and the children of Israel and so we, we are taking a marriage covenant with Sinai and uh, even even during the time of the uh, Jos- uh, Josiah, it says that some people remain pure. And, you know, we, we Hashem himself says he's a jealous God. He, he expects us to fulfill our part of the covenant. But he doesn't allow us to engage in adultery. We can go and pursue all the different lovers uh, that our heart desires you know as it speaks of in the book of hosea but we're not going to be fulfilled just as in hosea it says he brings back gomer after she nobody nobody wanted her anymore but a, but hosea redeemed her and so we we as the jewish people removed um, from our husband uh some of us have been put in the in the body of a, of a non-jew some of the people have been pushed to the uh, some people have been pushed to the outer regions and have been removed from Judaism that we, we didn't know that we're jews so it's, it's through the uh the galut through the dispersion that this happened and so but but we After we, we, once we drink the bitter waters, once we, once we come back to Hashem and say, I take your name upon me, people are being delivered out. We will be brought back into his household. We'll be delivered, we'll be still considered a sota because we have acted improperly. But Hashem has not allowed us to go constantly uh, our relationship with the nation. So within within this, we see that there is mercy, uh, and that let us apply that we we come back to our husband, figuratively, uh, that we come back to Hashem, that we drink and we partake of His His uh, divine name, Shabbat Shalom.
0: Shabbat Shalom. Thank you, Good <coughs>
1: So I like um Kabbalah just
2: as much as the next movement, but when it comes to this this passage, um I I, I appreciate
1: it. I'm sorry.
2: So I so I like the I like Kabbalistic interpretations just as much as the next person, but when it comes to this passage, I very much appreciate the, the, um, the more rationalistic view, um, which is probably more modern in interpretation, um, and it's, it's the same kind of um, argument that I gave to the children when we were discussing, um, when, when it came to the children, you know, um, when there's a wayward son, he's very rebellious it says in the Torah that, that the, that the parents should take him to the court and explain to them. And then if the court agrees that the son is, is too rebellious, he should be stoned, and that the parents should pass that first stone. And you know, when the children were talking about it, they were like, whoa. And I said, well, you know what? It's never been recorded in the Talmud nor in Jewish history that this practice ever took place. And it's the same thing with, um, with the sota ceremony. There are great details about how it should take place in the Talmud, but there isn't an actual recorded history, as far as I know, where it did take place. Now there is an exception with um, with the not the sota, but you know another kind of harsh punishment with, in the case of um, a Kohen's virgin daughter when she acts, you know when she defiled, when she allows herself to be defiled or when she defiles herself, there is a story of um, of one such virgin Cohen daughter being burned for that action. But When it comes to the sota and when it comes to the rebellious child, it's never been practiced. And the rational explanation of this is that these laws, these ceremonies were put into place actually to prevent any harm from coming on the children or on the wayward wife. So in our, even in our society today, in our global society today, it is still a practice that children are put to death for dishonoring, quote unquote, for dishonoring their families. And women are being put to death for being sus- suspected of having committed adultery, even if there's no proof, or marrying the wrong kind of person that you know, maybe their fathers didn't want didn't want them to. So this kind of practice still goes on in certain cultures, not in Jewish culture, not in Christian culture, but in certain cultures. But at a time when this type of practice putting women and children to death, when at a time in history, when this kind of thing was very, very common, and Hashem couldn't just tell people stop doing that, just like he couldn't just say, stop having slaves, just it wouldn't it wasn't time for that it wasn't palatable that that message wouldn't have been palatable, even though that's much, much more of a palatable message today. You know, We think of slavery in our Western day, we're like, of course, no, no one should own slaves. But um, back in that day, it was very, very, very common. It was almost like saying, Yosef was saying actually, um, like there was a, he was teaching um, a Jewish, uh, Jewish convert in India uh, the, the laws of, of slavery and how to treat a slave. And when he read about that, you're not supposed to kick your slave Well, this this Jewish Indian convert was mad, he was like, what do you mean I'm not supposed to kick my slave It's like such a common thing to do like you should kick your slaves. You know, and so there was cultures like that, just like there are today, it was was a lot more prevalent prevalent back in that day and these laws of the sota and and stoning the rebellious child, I believe that they were put in place. Actually, to protect the woman who had no witnesses against her that she was an adulteress it was. It only actually what I read from Rashi was that it only required one person to quote unquote see her go into seclusion with a man, but there was no other witnesses, and there was a spirit of jealousy so instead of. Being able to right away kill her, that this was a way to protect her because it would cause it would require a miracle for the for the elements in the sota ceremony to actually happen, it would require a miracle to convict her in this. And so i believe that rationalist explanation but when it comes to nakshon and his offerings i like the kabbalistic interpretation more if you notice and this is something that um there's a video that uh, our family produced and um it talked about how nakshon nakshon the the backstory in nakshon according to the midrash is that nakshon was the first israelite to step into the water um, even before the waters parted um, when the Israelites were crossing the Red Sea, escaping from the Egyptian army. Nachshon had faith that Hashem would bring them through. And even before Moshe parted the waters, he started walking through the water and it started splitting. And they say that it was partly because of his bravery that that miracle happened. So that, that was, that's the legend on Nachshon. He was um, the representative of the tribe of Judah. And every single tribe gave the same amount, yet it lists every single amount even though it was the same exact offering. And the the interpretation is that that, that amount, the other tribes followed, because Nakshon gave that amount, and he was of the tribe of Judah, and Judah was supposed to be the leading tribe, right, you remember? He was supposed to be the leading tribe, and they didn't want to give too much. They didn't want to give more than him to, you know, make it to belittle his offering, and they didn't want to give less than him. They wanted to give the, the same as he gave. and. Um, interestingly in the torah it it calls all the other leaders of the tribes it calls them nasi it calls them prince or or president prince or president and that word nasi doesn't mean son of a son of a king like the word prince means today it just meant like a leader a, 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 a very high leader and every other nasi it calls him a nasi but not Nakshon. It never called Nakshon a Nasi, even though he obviously was a Nasi. And the sages say that's because because he's from Yehuda, um, and Yehuda is supposed to bring about the king, the ultimate king, Mashiach, and so they didn't want to call him Nasi, so as not to um, mistaken him as Mashiach. That's what the sages say, which is very interesting because he's the only one. And um, also, the sages saw a very... Uh, the sages saw a lot of symbolism in his offering, and I'm just gonna read, read, um, read what uh, Avichael wrote in his drash about it. It says, he offered the silver dish and bowl to symbolize how the line of David, which was going to rule over both sea and land, the dish and the bowl. The dish weighed 130 shekels because the Hebrew word for seas has a numerical value of 100. And because Solomon's bronze laver, sea, has a circumference of 30 cubits. And when the two were added together, the result was 130. The silver bowl symbolized land because the earth is round like a bowl. The bowl weighed 70 shekels to point towards the 70 nations of the world that King Messiah is destined to rule over. The flour filling the dish and bowl symbolized the gifts that the nations were destined to bring to King Solomon and to King Messiah in the future. Nakshon mixed the flour with oil to symbolize the anointing of the kings, as it says in Song of Solomon 1.3. Your name is like oil poured out. The golden pan weighing ten shekels symbolized the ten generations from Perez to David. The incense symbolized the fragrance of the righteous deeds of those ten generations of David's ancestors. The bull symbolized Avraham, who ran to the herd to prepare a young bull for the three strangers. The ram symbolized Yitzhak, whose life was spared. And Abraham offered a ram on the altar in his place. The lamb symbolized Jacob, who separated the lambs when he cared for Levan's flocks. The goat for the sin offering symbolized Yehuda, who dipped his brother's coat in the blood of a goat. The two oxen for peace offering symbolized David and Solomon, while the five rams, five goats, and five lambs corresponded to the succession of 15 kings from Rehoboam to Zedekiah. The sheep, goats, and rams symbolized the three character types of those kings. Some were righteous, and some were wicked, and some were intermediate. So I was just talking to someone today about, um, about, um, about Mashiach in the Torah. And I was telling her that without rabbinic literature, there is no Mashiach. Without orthodox Judaism, there is no Mashiach. Um, even conservative Judaism and Reform Judaism, Mashiach is not important. Reform Judaism, as far as I understand, doesn't even believe in Mashiach. And conservative Judaism is like, oh, well, it's an idea. It's an idea in Judaism. It doesn't, it's not necessarily true. It doesn't necessarily have to take place. Conservative and reformed Jews don't even believe in the resurrection of the dead. When we say in the Amidah, when we say, me when we say, he who resurrects from the dead, they say, they, they change the word, especially in English, they say, he who simply brings life. And they don't talk about the resurrection of the dead. And so I, I've seen that many people who go the Keryate route I was talking to um, Aaron this morning about you know Hebrew rooters and Keryates when you keep going down that, that rabbit hole, um, you see that there's no mashiach and that there's not even an afterlife or a world to come or anything like that. So the New Testament itself really doesn't make sense without the, the writings of the sages and the rabbis. And that's one of the reasons that we, you know, we have latched on to Orthodox Judaism because the Messianic movement, Christianity, owes everything to the interpretations of the sages and the Talmud and the Midrash and even the even the Kabbalah.
1: I was um, in a conservative synagogue for several years and their Amidah still has Michayi Hametim for the second blessing. It's the Reformed and the, uh, Reconstructionist that changed it, to Michaei Kol the one that gives life.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of still very conservative, um, I guess, traditional conservatives out there. They, they keep the same, same traditions as Orthodox. All right.